Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. Good to see everyone. Uh, we're in a series called 90, counting down to uh, Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and sacrifice for us. Uh, started last week. This week's topic is upside down. That'll make more sense in a few minutes. But here's how I want to start this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about temptation. When I use the word temptation, what do you think of? For some of you, it's food. Um, I'm probably guilty there. Uh, for some of you, it's drink or some other, uh, take of something else, smoke something. For some of you, it's to buy something you shouldn't be buying. Some of you, it's to look at something you shouldn't be looking at. For some of you, it's to be in a relationship with somebody you shouldn't be in a relationship with. All kinds of temptations, right? But all temptations have this in common. <clears throat> On the screen. It's an invitation to embrace self-interest. So whenever I'm doing, I'm tempted to do those things, it's because I want to do them. I want to eat that. I want to look at that. I want to uh, drink that or whatever. It's an invitation to embrace self-interest. It's all about me. It's selfish. Now, we have the same thing. We don't call it self-temptation, uh, but it works the opposite way too. Uh, when you are, quote-unquote, tempted to do something benevolent, when uh, you're going to give up your salary to help somebody move, or you're going to... Uh, Write a check for somebody in need or uh, go on a missions trip. Right? You, you have this still you have this internal struggle, right? Should I write that check? Should I go? Should I do this? Should I sacrifice this? Now, the interesting thing is, which are we more successful at, at uh, doing the right thing with? Temptation for wrong or temptation to do good? I'm much better at messing up than I am doing the right thing. I don't know about the rest of you. <clears throat> The thing, the problem though with temptation, giving into temptation is this. It always hurts me. It's selfish, but it always hurts me. Often hurts other people. And eventually, Jesus is going to say it this way, you're going to lose what you're trying to gain. You're going to lose value, purpose, meaning in life, which is what you're trying to get by giving in to temptation. So, quick review from last week. Uh, we're going to look at the life of Christ with one theme in mind, and this theme is this. Jesus came to introduce something brand new to the world and for the world. So it's for the whole world. Just, he was Jewish, but it just wasn't for Jews. And something brand new. It wasn't kind of a reworking or add-on thing. This is going to be something brand new, nothing no, nobody's ever heard of before. <laughs> it's going to work differently. And specifically in three areas, uh, we mentioned New Covenant. That means the way you and I relate to God, get into relationship with God, continue in a relationship with God, is going to be completely different than how the Jews were trying to do it in the Old Testament. <clears throat> going to be new commandment. 613 or whatever rules or laws that the Jews had. Jesus said, oh, no, you don't, to, don't, don't confuse yourself with all those different ones. I'm going to tell you just one thing to focus on that can take up the rest of your life. Love one another just as I have loved you. One commandment. And then a new movement, which we would call the church, which we are part of. <clears throat> now, Judaism, the religion of the day, resisted this new stuff, just like the church for 2,000 years have resisted. One of the hardest things to do in a church is do something different. People like everything the old way. We're comfortable. We don't, aren't comfortable with change. So they resisted, we resisted, so that's why we're talking about it. Now, we talked about a guy named John the Baptizer last week, and he came along with something brand new. Instead of worshiping in the temple to get forgiveness and act sacrifice, he said, you come out here in the wilderness and, and you can 
confess your sins. And, and then he did this weird thing called baptizing people and nobody had done that before. And so he was drawing these big crowds. He was doing something new and drawing crowds. And then one day he said, hey, it's not about me. Look, he used the word look, look. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So this guy, we call him Jesus now, but nobody knew who he was. He was a nobody at this point. And John's pointing him out. And John is popular. And he could have tried to keep the crowds. But he said, no, no, it's not about me. It's about him. He didn't say to believe. He didn't say to follow. He just says, look, at this point. <clears throat> so he comes down to John in the Jordan River and says, I want, to bat- want you to baptize me. Now, I've baptized people. And uh, I-, I try and imagine what it would have been like if I'm in the Jordan River and Jesus comes to me and said, baptize me. I'm going to say, no, I'm going to freak out, right? And that's exactly what John did. I put up a verse here on, on the screen. John tried to talk him out of it. No, 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 Jesus, I can't baptize you. And he even said it this way, you, I ought to be, you ought to be baptizing me. So why are you coming to me? It seems so backwards, doesn't it? It seems upside down, doesn't it? That John would be baptizing Jesus instead of Jesus baptizing John. Now at this point, had Jesus done anything? Had he preached any sermon, done any miracles, anything? No, he hadn't, he hadn't done anything. He was a nobody. Nobody knew anything about him. So after John baptized him, he goes ahead and does it. Um, the gospel, three of the four gospels, stories about the life of Christ, tells us that immediately after the baptism, <laughs> he goes out into the wilderness. Now wait a minute, a minute. John had gathered this crowd together and he's trying to hand it off to Jesus and Jesus says, see ya. <laughs> It goes into, the, Jesus knew what he was doing. And we're going to see this was what God or Spirit of God wanted him to do. <clears throat> but uh, Matthew and Luke give us the whole story. Mark says he just, he just went. And uh, this temptation is going to involve a character by the name of the devil. We call him the devil, right? Fallen angel. And a group this size, probably some of you don't believe in embodiment of evil, but that's fine. Just, just focus on the principle. Most of us would believe. In fact, the spiritual realm is more real than the physical realm, but we don't see it, so it's hard for us to comprehend that. <clears throat> you know, when John said no to Jesus, uh, we think, well, that, that, we shouldn't say no to Jesus, but you and I do that all the time, don't we? Uh, when we give in to temptation, we're saying no to Jesus, say yes to ourselves, but we don't see Jesus standing in front of us. That's why I guess it makes it a little bit easier. So, whether you believe in the devil or not, Anything you read in scripture or anything you read, period, especially written 2,000 years ago, you need to ask yourself this question. Why did the author choose to include this? 2,000 years ago wasn't like today. Stuff was written, you know, millions of books, so forth. Books or anything written was expensive and difficult and most people couldn't read or write. So if it was written down then, it had an authority, it had a power because there wasn't much written. And the fact that it has lasted 2,000 years, you ought to read it. I ought to read it, right? <clears throat> In fact, if I am discussing with you something with you and I said, oh, maybe I'm talking about, uh, you all know, no, I eat kind of weird. Uh, if I'm talking to you about diet, if I say, hey, I, I read, this doctor did this research and he discovered this, that has more credence than I said, oh, I think you ought to eat this way, or I think I ought to eat that way, right? The fact that somebody wrote it down gives it authority. So, the story can be about temptation, and if you've been in church and know this story, kind of 
try and rethink it or think of it for the first time. And Jesus is going to be tempted, but why did Jesus need to be tempted? And the Bible tells us, different places, that Jesus was 100% God, but he was 100% human. And so he was like you and I, and so he faced the same temptations you and I did. He could be empathetic, not just sympathetic, right? So, let's dig into the story. Look at Matthew's account. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Now, when you hear the word led by the Spirit, we think the Spirit's going to lead us into good stuff, right? Fun stuff. Stuff we're going to like to do. Stuff that's going to be positive. But that's not always the case, is it? Sometimes the Spirit of God leads us into tough stuff. Going on a mission trip can be tough. Sharing your faith with somebody can be tough. But the Spirit of God can lead you to do that. To be tempted there of the devil. Now, is temptation a sin, first off? Obviously, it's not. But you and I often feel bad just because we're tempted to do something we shouldn't do, even if we don't do it. In fact, temptation is not even bad. It's only bad if you and I give into it, right? When you and I don't give into it, it, it grows us, it matures us, it makes us stronger. So it actually can be a good thing. So in this case, the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness, into this temptation. Now, the other thing, when are you and I most tempted? Well, two, two ends of the spectrum. We're going to see Jesus is going to be very physically weak when he's tempted. So in our times of weakness, we're tempted. We're tired, we're stressed, etc., etc. On the other hand, another time we don't think about too much, that you and I are tempted, is when we are on a mountaintop, when we've been successful. Because Jesus had best been baptized the Spirit of God, God said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. How much of a higher mountaintop can you get, get than that? And he goes straight from there into this wilderness experience. Now, next verse says, 40 days and 40 nights didn't eat. I don't know how long you've ever fasted. Most I've ever done is three days. And we didn't really get that hungry after three days, but I started to get weak. So I can't imagine, this is kind of an understatement, right? Uh, 40 days without eating anything. And so, after that period of time, the devil comes. He didn't come at day one or day two. He comes at day 40. <clears throat> During that time, next verse, the devil came and said to him. And notice that the devil often uses words like if. Right? He wants to put doubt in our minds. He told, told Eve in the garden, did God really say to you that you couldn't eat this? If you are the son of God, Tell these stones become loaves of bread. Now there's lots of words for the devil. He's the deceiver, etc. One of my favorite words is, um, let me try and illustrate. Ever have anybody poke you in the ribs? How do you like that? My wife about slugs me. It's actually almost, I think she did hit me once when I did that. <laughs> um, it's just so aggravating, isn't it? And that's one of the descriptive words of Jesus. He's just that aggravator. He's that uh, tempter. Now this goes back to creation. God created, he spoke the world into existence. So if you, God can speak the world into existence, he certainly can take this stone and turn it into bread. So it's like nothing, right? <clears throat> so that's the temptation. Is Jesus hungry? Is he need to eat? Absolutely. But Jesus said to him, no way. And then he's going to quote scripture. This is tying in the old covenant, the old way, the Old Testament. That was his Bible. Uh, Jesus is going to introduce something new. 
people don't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this goes back to the Israelites. Some of you know the story. Wandering around for 40 years, and they didn't have food to eat. They didn't have gardens. So God provided the food called manna every day, except for on the Sabbath, <clears throat> so they could eat. And so what it boiled down to, they were literally, physically dependent every day on God for their food. And God, Jesus is quoting the saying, no, no, no. All of us are completely dependent on God for everything 24-7. So he resisted that temptation. Then comes the next one. Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem the highest point of the temple. Now, <laughs> I don't know where I got this image. and that, I, Probably from other people talking about it before I even started preaching or teaching I had this idea that he's in the wilderness and then he's at the temple. You know, like Star Trek, you just kind of beamed over there. Um, I, don't, it, I don't believe it happened that way. I think they walked there. The devil led him there, which brings up the idea of time. We don't know how much time happened between the first and the second. It might have been a day or two that they walked together. So the devil's talking to him. He's tempting him. and He's accusing him for hours after hours, most likely. So they get to the temple. The highest point of the temple doesn't mean they're up on the roof of the temple. That's the other image I used to get. They're at the highest point of the temple. And I'm going to show you a picture of what that kind of looks like. Temple's not there anymore. But that's the southeast corner. It's the highest part. And, then the, and, the, and the ground kind of slopes away from there. So it's pretty high. If you jumped off of there, you'd probably get pretty hurt, right? So the devil says to him. Now, okay, Jesus quoted scripture. So the devil's pretty smart. So he says, okay, you're going to use scripture on me, I'm going to use scripture on you. If, the son of, if, if you're the son of God, again, jump off. Because the scripture says, he, meaning God, will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on the stone. You won't even get hurt. Now, obviously this is scripture. Is that what the scripture is teaching? No, obviously he's twisting scripture to be presumptuous. For me to climb up on the church roof and jump off and say, okay, God, you need to protect me, that's presuming on God. It's also going against the laws of nature, right? It got me thinking about kind of a wing of the church that, that really kind of gets under my skin. I try not to be too dramatic. Up on the screen, a modern version of faith. If you just believe, you'll receive. We call it kind of the name it, claim it. And it just bugs me because it's, I see it as trying to manipulate God. Okay, God, if I do this or say this or believe this, then you've got to do this. So it's kind of talk about upside down. Now I'm God. I'm in control, right? I'm telling God what to do. It's really not even Christianity. It's really not religion. It's more superstition or magic. And so Jesus doesn't buy into this. And his response, again, he uses another scripture. He says, but the scripture also says this. Not that it contradicts that. You just misinterpreted it. That you must not test the Lord your God. You can't force him to do something. You can't bribe him to do something. Well, I went to church today, God, and I put money in the offering today, and I read my Bible, and I prayed, so God, you've got to give me a good week, right? Doesn't work that way. In fact, Jesus said that's the wrong way to think about God. You should think about God as, a, as a, a perfect heavenly father. And if my heavenly father's perfect, what do I, all I need to do is what? If I need something, all I do is Ask. Perfect Heavenly Father is going to give me whatever I ask for. So he says, just ask. So that's why he resists the second temptation. Now, I think the third one is the biggest one. It got me thinking about 
not only our society, but church culture. Uh, here's the question. Why are powerful people so inclined to go off the rails? Now, we see this in, with politicians all the time, right? Well, this has kind of been happening in the church, probably always been happening in the church, but in, in the last five years or so, a huge church out at, in Seattle, pastor uh, went off the rails a couple of years ago, a huge church, huge successful church in South Carolina, pastor went off the rails. Just recently, two huge, big, successful churches in Chicago, their pastors are being accused of, uh, of wrongdoing. Why does that happen? There's an expression, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. But it shouldn't be that way, should it? And Jesus modeled something completely different. And that's what we're going to see. And here's what Jesus modeled during his life here on earth in three areas. First, power is primarily uh, is not primary for the benefit of the powerful. Oh, no, wait a minute. That's, you know, if I get to be powerful, I, yeah, I get to do stuff with my power. Yeah, you get to do stuff, but not for your benefit, for other people's benefit. Wouldn't it be great if our politicians operated that way? Uh, wealth, this is going to hit us all. Wealth is not primary for the benefit of the wealth. See, the wealth that you have, the income you have, the resources you have are tests. Now, most of us say, hey, I'd like to try that make me a billionaire test, right? See if I would, what I would do with it. But the reality is, if you're in this room, you've already in this test. 90 plus percent of the people in the world look at your income would say you're wealthy. So you and I are all in this test. God, Jesus talked about, about money a lot. <clears throat> but one of the things he said was, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. You're just, it's, you're just supposed to manage it. <laughs> you're supposed to do a good, good, good job of managing it. <clears throat> Our problem with wealth is this. I earned it. I worked for it. I deserve it, right? And then what our thinking is? You know, God says, no, no, I've given it all to you. So wealth's not primary for the wealthy and influence is not primarily for the benefit of the influential. Now Jesus would be tempted with this all through his career, even to the cross, at the cross. Think about it this way. Temptations don't always come in our weak areas. On the cross, he said, he said uh, the one guy says to him, if you're God, call the angels down and get you off of here. Now, did he have the power to do that? Yes, he did. So temptation can come in, in areas of power. He had the power to do that. And he chose not to do that. So that would have been through all of Jesus' ministry. So, get to this third temptation. He takes him up to a high mountain, I believe they walked there, probably outside of Jerusalem, over Jerusalem, looking down at Jerusalem. Showed them all the kingdoms of the world. Maybe something supernatural happened here. I just seem to think they probably saw Jerusalem, which to them would have been the center of the world, the most important part of the world, and all its glory. And then the devil says this, I will give it all to you if you kneel down and worship me. Now, Jesus didn't argue with him. I don't know if he had the authority to do this or not. But Jesus didn't argue with him. Kind of want to reword it for you. Put this on the screen. I want you to leverage your worship for your sake. And I got to thinking about this. We all fall into this trap. How often have you come to church wanting to know what you're going to get out of it? Who are you worshiping in that case? You're worshiping you. <laughs> now, hopefully you do get something out of it. 
But what is worship? True worship is not about me. It's all about him. And I come to give him something. That's why in an offering we give money. We give our time. We give our attention. We give our lives. So the temptation here is to leverage your worship for your sake. Now, next statement on the outline is this. Jesus' kingdom is going to be a kingdom like no other. This is mind-boggling. He said, it's going to be a kingdom where the king lays his life down for his subjects. Nobody's ever seen a kingdom like that before or since. This is an internal kingdom. It's a kingdom of conscience. It's a kingdom of, of the heart. It's a kingdom of the will. So this is the temptation. What's Jesus' response? Get out of here, Satan. Well, the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Worship's not about me, it's about him. Again, three times using scripture properly. Then what happens? Well, the devil leaves it. Now, sometimes we think a temptation is endless, don't we? <laughs> but it's not. It comes and goes. So when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. It's going to come again, but it's not endless. And then Luke tells us also this. He returned to Galilee, back home, to filled with the Holy Spirit. Reports of him spread quickly through the whole region. So he quickly began to gather the crowd together. Now, the other interesting thing to me is this. Next thing we can tell from reading the scriptures is, you know what Jesus did next? He went to a wedding. And at the wedding, guess what happened? They ran out of wine. And Jesus' mother comes and says, hey, hey, I want you to fix this. <laughs> I can't imagine that. How am I supposed to fix this? But what does he do? He changes water into wine. He wouldn't change a rock into bread for himself, but he changed water. So here's the lesson. It's better to listen to your mom than it is to Satan, right? <laughs> Did the disciples get this? No, they didn't even get it after the crucifixion. They didn't understand that. So, Jesus in another place said this. Uh, this is in Mark chapter 10. The Son of Man, meaning himself, Son of God, came not to be served, but to serve. I can't comprehend that. I'm God. You, I created you. You should worship me, but I've come to serve you. And give his life. Not only to serve, I'm going to die for you. Obviously, Jesus took this deathly seriously, right? So here's how I worded on your outline. Do you know what Jesus, and you got to fill in. Everybody ready to fill in? Do you know what Jesus considered more important than the kingdoms of this world? Fill it in. You. Me. More important in the kingdoms of this world. We may have some power, but none of us have power over the consequences of sin, do we? Our soul hanging the balance there. All over the world, people are worshiping this Jesus that didn't rule a kingdom, but gave his life for the subjects. Here's a question we all need to wrestle with and answer. Luke chapter 9. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? 
You lose what you're trying to get. Purpose, meaning, satisfaction. Trying to get it, but you lose it. May I ask you some question? Who do you admire most? People that are selfish or selfless? Well, let's finish up. In this new upside-down kingdom, upside-down, right? Crazy. The first would be last and the last first, which means, let's go to those three areas, power would be leveraged for the powerless. Wealth, wealth would be leveraged for those in need. I, we have a food pantry ministry in, in Smithsburg. They hit a record this week, unfortunately. 115 families came to get food this week. Wealth would be leveraged for those in need. And influence would be leveraged for those without a voice. First thing that comes to mind for me is the unborn. They have no voice. Let me end with this, though. We naturally resist, don't we? When I get power, I want to use it. When I get wealth, I want to use it. When I get influence, I want to use it. You don't really understand this upside-down kingdom. So we resist. Hopefully we don't... <coughs> Uh, 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 retaliate what you and I need to do (laughs) is embrace the upside down kingdom of Jesus Jesus said another place those who lose their lives will find it embracing the upside down kingdom out of time we'll continue next week hopefully you can join us let's pray Father God, thank you. I thank you for this beautiful story that's been preserved, this encounter between Satan and, and Jesus, and uh, not just what it has to teach us about temptation, but what it has to teach us about <clears throat> bigger things, purpose and meaning in life. God, I pray for anyone here that never stepped across that line, never accepted that gift of salvation, that, that new way of relating to God, Completely free gift. My debt, a responsibility, my debt to God has been paid by Jesus on that cross. And victory over death through his resurrection. And I pray that you would step across that line, accept that gift this morning. For most of us, we're already Jesus followers. But just like the disciples, we struggle with this upside down kingdom thing. So help us God to integrate it into our lives. If you came to serve, we certainly should come to serve. In Jesus' name, amen.